With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elisa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today you'll be listening to a Real Trends crossover episode that features an interview with United Real Estate Group CEO Dan Duffy. In this episode, Duffy discusses the company's evolving business strategies, building profitable core services, and more. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, we know your vision of success is unique to you. That's why your goals and our culture of support go hand in hand. We give you the tools and support you need to thrive and live your best life. Come home to Atlantic Bay. Visit joinatlanticbay.com to explore what's possible. Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, NMLS number 72043, is an equal opportunity employer. This is Tracy Velt, Managing Editor for Real Trends. Today, you'll be listening to an exclusive interview with Dan Duffy, CEO of United Real Estate Group. United Real Estate jumped 134 spots to number 10 by transaction sides in the Real Trends 500. They are also in the top 20 for sales volume, ranking number 16. Dan joined United in 2006 to secure growth capital to support growth and repositioning of the United system. Clearly, he's doing his job well. So welcome, Dan, and thanks for joining Real Trending. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you first about some of the M&A work that you've been doing and your growth strategy. You've obviously jumped pretty high in the rankings and you've had some key acquisitions with Benchmark in Nashville and Virtual Properties in Atlanta. So tell me about your strategy going forward. Will you continue with, with M&A? Are you looking to transition to more of an organic growth strategy or still combine the two like you've been doing? Yeah, it's definitely a combination strategy. Um, I think that you know every time you have an opportunity to welcome an incredible operator to the team like we did with Benchmark and VPR, you're creating the network effect. Mm-hmm. So you have a bigger system um, on which to grow organically. So we're equally focused. If there was organic growth printed on one wall in, a, in my office and then mergers and acquisition or you know tuck-ins or whatever you want to call it on the other, I'm I'm equally positioned to see both walls, and so is the rest of the team, including our offices. You know, I think that having a a, a two pronged strategy, uh, you know, for growth allows you not to be overly dependent on either one. Our organic growth is strong, north of twenty percent. You know, and that's that's solid organic growth, and that's an agent count, transaction count. Uh, but equally important, we see opportunities with entrepreneurs that have done amazing things in their geographic area where we don't have a presence and they have similar models to ours. And there's just a really good fit. But it's not just about, you know, posting bigger numbers. It's not just about accumulating agents or transactions for some ranking. Each and every one of these is strategic. There's something that underlies it with the people that are there. Uh, that make them compelling. So you could have two equally large and equally profitable firms, 
And one is very attractive to us and the other one isn't. And in the case of Benchmark and VPR and CRR um, down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, in each and every case, there was a strategic reason why we were interested in making the acquisition to accelerate our organic growth and expand our uh, value proposition to our agents and brokers and their clients. Were you in, I think Atlanta was a new market for you, right? Fairly new market. Um, what about yeah, new market. Fort Lauderdale? Yeah, so in Fort Lauderdale, that was a, that was a new market entrance. You know, so we, we had, uh, I would say, almost a non-existent presence. You go a little bit further south down into Miami and Dade County, we have a pretty, a very strong presence there and it's growing. Atlanta, from the United perspective, you know, the metropolitan area was definitely a new, we were new to the market. Um, we've been in Georgia for years in the rural market with United Country Real Estate, obviously, selling the properties outside of the metro area. And then in Nashville, we did, in fact, have uh, and have a few offices there. So it was complementary to the offices that we already had. And we saw it as an opportunity for that to, to accelerate our growth and market share. And again, in all three cases, it brought talent and new thinking into the equation. So it's not just the numbers. It's not just the money. Um, that's all part of it, obviously, but we're, we're equally interested in, the, in being able to access Philip Cantrell and Steve and Karen down in Atlanta and Cindy down in Fort Lauderdale. These are incredible operators who have been at it for you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and they know their stuff. And you know, we're always open ear to new ideas, and they have them. We're excited to have them on the team. Yeah. Now, are there any new markets you could talk about that you're moving into or... Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously that's you're you're talking specifically about our M and A uh, pipeline and where we're having conversations. So, I'll, you know, you know, look, it's an, we're an open book. Um, I would say that you know, there's if you take a look at the top fifty MSAs in the United States um, that have certain uh, population sizes, agent counts, transaction counts, uh, we're having conversations with folks in many of those markets. Um, geography is less. Um, is less of a determining factor for us. You know, we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily Rocky Mountains East, but we do we do seek out uh, opportunities to have a presence and enter a market with a very strong foothold with an incumbent with a similar model that uh, that we can work together to try to grow their market share in the market. You know, okay. so, you know, I would say you you could fill in the blank. You look at our, our dot map of where we have a presence and where we don't in the top 50 MSAs, you can yeah. pretty much rest assured we're having a conversation with someone. Yeah, great, great, good yeah. to hear. So I wanna kind of move to a different question. I, I've seen your business model cited as innovative and I know you're a low fee model. So how do you differentiate yourself from others who offer like a similar <coughs> value proposition? It's interesting because what you see on the surface, and this has been true with our company for the last 15 years, um, Myself and and a few of of my long uh, long term partners uh, came from the technology space, um, and it's been a long uh, process to get into the the what we call the deep plumbing, and into the foundation of the business and kind of understand. It's been fifteen years actually. I realized the other day I've been in real estate longer than I've been in any other industry. Prior to this, I was in technology and business services. And now we're at a point, and that's why you see us also making, uh, you know, taking some capital and deploying it to expand into markets with mergers and acquisition. Um, we 
we set the deep plumbing um, and the foundation very solidly with a proprietary um, technology and services platform so that we would not be dependent on third parties for our for our data warehouse, for example. Um, our integrations to the MLSs that power all of our technology are all done in-house, uh, both in the United States, and then we have an offshore operation in Tunisia. Uh, so Austin, Texas is where our dev center is. Uh, so I think one of the points of differentiation that has already begun to manifest into um, into things that agents can get and that they need with us that they can't get elsewhere is it rests upon a proprietary uh, platform. Um, and in order in order to get a proprietary flat platform that is now cloud based. Um, that in, in cloud-based, it's interesting. There's not a lot that's been written about it, but if you really spend some time to dig in, it has less to do with speed, cost, and the ability to put a lot of data um, and collect a lot of data. It has a lot more to do with the development environment. And I equate it to coming from that space. This is the most being cloud-based, if you truly are with a proprietary tech platform, gives you an incredible advantage because you can have parallel development cycles and they, they're not disruptive um, to what exists today. So our ability to innovate fast and to have parallel development um, initiatives with different teams running concurrently because we're now on the cloud and we really couldn't unfurl a lot of the things that we had built and even the competencies and the capabilities of the team that we've built that are excellent folks. You know, we couldn't really do it until we were cloud-based because, you know, you have to go mess with the old code. You have to do a lot of QA. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. When someone is truly cloud-based, not just claiming to be cloud-based because a third party of theirs is cloud-based, that indicates that they're a technology company. And it indicates they understand that in order to innovate and in order to be accretive and to add things over time, an agent or a broker or the market moves in a certain direction, our, we have a unique ability to be able to move with the market and move ahead of the market to continually differentiate. I think that we've done a really good job. You know, Like any high growth company, you have these moments where you have uh, cultural checkpoints where you, you really have to ask yourself, you know, who are you? How are you going to act when when no one knows or no one's in the room? Right. And I think we had a, some of those moments in 2015, you know, as we were growing really fast and we checked up. And I think that we came out the other end very, very strong. You know, we honored our culture. And I think that's starting to pay uh, huge dividends. Um, you know, we had a little bit of, of growing pains, but now those growing pains are squarely behind us. And it shows in our growth, the connectivity with our and the trust level with our, the value proposition, the trust level with our brokers and agents is exceptionally high. Um, you know, I, I haven't paid for someone to go do a survey, but I would, uh, we actually have done that um, in certain segments of our business that's in the high 90s. I think that that and the people that we have that we've carefully assembled are all important differentiators. The last one I'll leave you with, um, as far as a differentiator, which has not yet manifest on the United side of the business, but is fully articulated on United Country, is there's nothing that um, Zillow, Redfin, um, you know, uh, I guess previously before Ojo bought them, Avodo, mm -hmm. and other companies do from a listing aggregation and lead aggregation that we're not either already doing, actually, we are already doing it for United Country. And it just takes time and money and competency. 
And so I think this whole, uh, our ability over time, now that we have the data coming from the MLSs, we have the ability uh, to kind of reclaim on behalf of our agents, the consumer uh, to their benefit and to the consumer's benefit. And you're going to see a lot more of that coming in the next, uh, you know, we're, we're at scale now mm-hmm. and we're gaining scale fast. And you're going to see us uh, really putting a lot of energy behind that. And you're going to, you know, we're not going to announce it. We're not going to do a big press release, but behind the scenes, you're going to see our lead capture and other things on behalf of the agents in a very favorable economic arrangement really start to, to blossom. And that's only available to us because of the heavy lifting that we did, you know, working with United Country, the legacy platform that's 90 years old. We've been doing it for years. We've been generating leads for them since 1925. Um, Now we're just using different technology, but you're going to start seeing those things. And we're rolling that out. And we've already rolled it out on the legacy business, which is fairly dominant in their space in the lifestyle, rural and smaller town market space. When we generate millions of unique visitors a month, we generate tens of thousands of organic high quality leads. Uh, We just got the data uh, as it pertains to the major metropolitan areas. And because of our tech stack being proprietary and in fully deployed, we have some significant advantages to be able to, uh, to bring that home to roost. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's funny because you don't really uh, market yourself as a technology company. So Um, No, and we never will. I mean, Tracy, I think it's important. You know, this is all about the agents and their customers. Yeah. I mean, and so really, if you think about it, we've assembled, let's just call it 40 incredibly sharp people. I mean, we, Dave, Dave Dickey is our chief technology officer. And then there's a, his team led by Ben and the team down in Austin. And then the captive group we have in Tunisia. These folks have been handpicked and we had 1200 developers in our last company. So we, we know how to, we are, we have the tech DNA, but real estate is not about technology. It's a fleeting point of differentiation. You come out with the latest widget and then everyone commoditizes it. You come out with the latest widget and everyone commoditizes it. What technology is important is that you can keep the cost of operations to the agents and the brokers as low as possible. And so right now, I mean, if you go back only three years ago, the average, the cost per agent for us to deliver our tech stack, because it wasn't proprietary, was was more than $20 a month per agent per month, because we were procuring some things that we had yet to provide or build. Now, if we add 100 agents, which we will this week across the United States, we'll add 100 agents this week organically. um, Our variable cost per agent is zero Wow! because we've spent tens of millions of dollars in a very systematic way. And we migrated off of other people's technology. So the core technology platform that we have, which isn't perfect, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it is uh, ours and we have the ability to take that platform and the cycles and the speed at which that we're rolling out, you know, everything from feature functionality to next generation stuff is has accelerated exponentially as a result of moving to the cloud. That's that's, a huge advantage. Yeah, definitely. And um, I know when we talked last, we talked a lot about agent buy-in. Have any, have you changed um, the way that you've marketed your systems to, to agents and and into to your offices or, you know, how has that evolved? Yeah, we, we have, um, 
you know, we our our technology stack and our entire value, our our agent productivity um, platform is not just technology. It's training, it's webinars, it's guest speakers, it's thought leaders, it's mentorship. Every single thing that that we deliver is delivered on the Bullseye platform. And so part of it is technology, what, what people would call quote unquote technology. Uh, it's the core CRM, it's the it's the marketing campaigns and and um uh it's it's all of the the elements that people sometimes refer to as technology. How do we generate leads? How do we market an agent? How does market it, how does an agent propagate an agent website which is integrated with the MLS, which has featured listings, it has blogging, it has SEO and all that stuff. Yeah. That's in there for sure. But but we have bullseye is not just tech the code. It's mm-hmm. also the people that are experts, subject matter experts that are sharing their ideas across the entire country. The modality, you know, mo- people learn differently. Um, so some people, you know, and you know this, that's the business that you're in. Some people learn graphically. They need five or six slides and they want it to be succinct and they want to be able to see it, you know, in a single frame, you know, or four or five single frames. Some people learn through, you know, you, you know, the various modalities, verbally, mm-hmm. audibly. Right. So we've, We've really, and I think COVID did a good job of kind of pushing us to increase the number of modalities that we're using and the frequency of those modalities. We've also, Rick's done a great job, Rick Haas, our president Mm -hmm. of of United Real Estate and also the Mm -hmm. COO of United Real Estate Group. He's done a great job. Uh, We've brought on some very talented communications folks, Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing an excellent job of not only hitting on the modality, but also the frequency of the communication. How many times do you have to communicate something and what modalities in order to get the message across? Having said all of that, you know, everyone, uh, whether they interact or log in or not, uses the bullseye platform. Right. Because it's there and it operates because it's broader than just the, you know, the, the managing your customer base, for example. Okay. So everyone's using it. However, you know, when you get into and you really have an honest conversation with brokerages, and you know this, you know where I'm going with this, the there's about 20% of agents use, you know, all of the tools in the tool bag. Right. And then then there's about 20 to 40% that use some of them. Right. Uh, periodically. And then there's that other group that just has an incredible network of ladies and men from the synagogue or church or whatever. Right. And they're going to rock and roll mm-hmm. without ever logging into a system. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's important for us back to our earlier conversation to make certain that we, we don't have, that we have a system that works. That's that, that is doing things, whether they log in, don't log in whether they're highly engaged or not highly engaged, that works for them. And so everything we've built, and we always have this conversation, you know, what's the version of this feature or functionality or this offering that automatically delivers value to the agents? And how do we get better, sharper, faster at that over time? So that if they don't engage, um, like agent websites, for example, the base templatized agent website that's delivered is elegant in its look and feel and the broker sets the template. But if an individual agent chooses or just doesn't get around to engaging with that agent website to use all the incredibly powerful tools that are there to enhance their SEO, claim Mm -hmm. a neighborhood, do radius type of of geo-targeting, it still works for them, you know? So, so anyway, we've, uh, 
you know, we're not a, I, I would, wouldn't say we're a technology company. We're, we're here, we're, we're a professional services support company with marketing technology. We have a, a broad spectrum of things that we offer the agents based on what they want and what they need. Yeah. They're the entrepreneur, you know? Yeah. And that kind of goes into my next question. Um, you know, across the board, gross margins have been down. Um, some more than others, depending on the business model. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about core services. At this point, I don't think you guys offer or have core service companies. Is that correct? Yeah, that's directionally correct. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about what your future looks like. Um, what you know? Do you have any plans for mortgage title? Um, and what are some innovative ways you're kind of overcoming the the you know profitability uh, conundrum? Yeah. So first of all, our margins are expanding. So because of our business model, it, it, it's really reliant upon being larger. Mm-hmm. And so our margins, both at the contribution margin line um, and the EBITDA line are, are expanding. So we're, okay. we've reached a critical mass where, um, where we invested deeply um, uh, for years and years to get to the scale that we are now. So from this point forward, we're, we're, we're a profitable organization. Mm-hmm. You know, as an owner investor, I have I have yet to take a dividend and or a dollar out of the company for 16 years. Okay. So it wasn't about, you know, trying to make a fast buck or anything else like that. And we don't do it. We plow every dollar back into it, you know, for the benefit of the agents and the right. brokers. So I understand the pain that, you know, a traditional firm would have if you're on an 80-20 split. And even I'm not I'm not wanting to single them out, but Compass is really a traditional firm in their in their schema. Yeah. Uh, Keller Williams is a traditional firm in their scheme. You know, yeah. if you t- really look under the covers, it's a split model. Right. So the the low fee model it requires scale, and mm-hmm. it requires a lot of scale in order to justify the level of investments that we've made and that we plan on making and that we're making. Mm-hmm. So so we don't have that same problem. Um, I understand where the industry has the problem. There yeah. are, as far as, as far as core services are concerned, you know, and, you know, I love hearing that, Hey, why didn't you do this? You know, yeah. three years ago, my gosh, you know, there's so many opportunities. I believe that in order to do it correctly, you have to have a certain scale and critical mass. And so partnerships with mortgage companies and a lot of our, a lot of our, um, our, our offices absolutely are into core services. I mean, they yeah. have very well articulated mortgage offerings. Right. title, et cetera, that are RESPA compliant. Mm-hmm. And they're doing really, really well. Our franchisees are doing really, really well. On our corporate owned uh, or corporate operated locations, we've chosen to wait until we got a little bit more scale and we're at that scale point right now. So you'll okay. see us in late 2021 and 2022 um, a, bring on the team um, subject matter experts and key leadership Mm-hmm. that will drive those businesses um, in a very systematic way. And so when you look at us a year from now, if we had the same conversation a year from now, yeah, our core services through both organic growth as well as through um, very strategic acquisitions, um, you'll see us have a very strong uh, high margin presence and quite frankly, full service, enhance our full service offering to our agents and our customers. Yeah, so yeah. Make that move this year, but I wanted to get to scale. Okay. You know, I didn't want to mess around. You know, when we had three or four thousand agents, that'll work in a in a locally geographically operated tight business. 
it doesn't work on a national level. You have to get to 15 to 20,000 agents before it really makes sense to put 20, 30, 40 million dollars behind something. And that's right. exactly what we intend to do. Okay. Any any one you're going to be starting with specifically? That, you mean as far as like potential mergers? Um, <laughs> well, you know, we've got a lot of great conversations going on. And, and I will tell you this, um, like with the brokerage businesses, we the number one thing we look for is the leadership team. Yeah. You know, and and so there's a lot of very profitable, very large, you know, title companies, escrow companies, mm-hmm. uh, mortgage companies that we could have made an offer and probably come to terms and acquired them. Right. Um, that is not interesting to us. What's interesting to us is if the leadership team has, they're creative, they're excited. You know, they, they think when you ask them what they get excited about the fact that the agents benefit from them having a more, more full service, you know, and unbelievable quality yeah. in what they offer and the customers love it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to us, even if it's a smaller one, because if you can get the kernel, that core leadership team, and you'll see it, when you see us announce, which we're pretty quiet about announcing some yes. of our acquisitions. Yes. Um, when you see us announce it, if we announce it, it will be more about the 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 leadership team that we were able to have join yeah. to drive us forward on a national level. So it's it's hard to find those diamonds. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people that that are good at making money and they're good at building big businesses, but they're not necessarily aligned as far as you know, we want better outcomes for our agents, right? You know, and their customers, you know, and that's hard to find both, you know. Yeah. So we've got some great ones in the in the hamper, but we'll uh, we'll let that come out when it comes out. Well, I hope that I'm one of the first to know. Actually, the uh, first to know. So uh, you're on. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'll promise you that right now. I will definitely call you when we're ready to to Sounds let good. the world know. Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, I want to talk, you know, this past year has been difficult for a lot of people, not as much so for the real estate industry, since it's basically boomed despite the pandemic. But what are some lessons that you've learned or maybe your biggest lesson learned and, you know, through all of this? You know, I, I um, and people that have worked with me over the years, and this is more of a personal thing. And mm-hmm. I, I think that we as a team are like this. When and there's, and I hate to, it's not really a sailing analogy, but it, it is very analogous to this. The rougher the seas, the deeper the keel. So when you're faced with either a storm on the horizon that you know you have to punch through, mm-hmm. or whether you're, um, you know, whether you're already in the storm, you have to drop your keel and it keeps the boat on point and you get to your destination and you're going to get to the other end. Storms don't last forever. You know, yeah. so at the beginning of the pandemic, we dropped our keel. You know, we said, hey, let's take a let's take a pause for a short period of time on some of the acquisitions and some of the mergers that we were doing. Um, let's not pull back on our core investments. Let's keep going because the storm will pass and we want to be strong when we get to the other side. But let's be smart. So I think the, the biggest thing is that that mantra and that cultural propensity to drop your keel and not let the static, not let the waves distract you and just, you know, put your raincoat on and keep the sails out. You might want to trim them a little bit, you know, so you don't get blown over. But if you watch a good sailing movie, you know, like uh, any of those ones where they're punching through a storm, the ones that are successful are the ones that keep their head about them. Yeah. And we got very, very calm and we weren't just 
you know, we, we actually started to eliminate conversations about COVID because it was an uncontrollable variable. We yeah. understood it. We, we contemplated what the you know, worst and best case scenario were and the center cut scenario. We sailed to the center cut. But at the end of the day, you just have to be calm. The, the rougher the seas, the calmer you have to be to let your brain fire correctly. So yeah. it was a, it was and, and we did, you know, I mean, I think, you know, and everyone I think everyone did a great job. You know, the other thing that was a big learning lesson for us, which is not necessarily the essence of your question, <clears throat> was I think that it allowed us, there was actually a tremendous amount of benefit. Obviously, it's tragic what's happened, you know, tragic. But causing people to go home and think and have more downtime and maybe a even a little bit more balance, even for myself, getting off planes a little bit and pausing had a, a tremendous, I think we're calmer and more systematically focused on just a few important things than we were before. You know, you have a tendency to ramp yourself up and amp up and the RPMs are going too fast. I think that we're, we're, a, we're a more focused organization and we're communicating more frequently and clearer than we were before. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I'm going to go back to your storms analogy for my next question. Um, right. you know, I think one of the most searched terms on Google is when is the next housing crash? Um, uh, and of course, you know, you, you know the market better than anyone. Um, are you worried about a housing bubble? What do you think the, the market will look like in the next year? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not. Because if you, if you look outside of real estate, okay, just mm -hmm. let's, let's forget real estate for a second. If you look at any asset bubble pop, whether it be in Japan, whether it be in currencies, whether it be in whatever, it's typically precluded by a lot of speculation. And speculation creates an artificial uh, supply demand. Um, and Bitcoin's got a little bit of that, right? You know, yes. what's the underlying? There's a lot of froth. So asset mm -hmm. bubbles tend to pop and release a lot of error when there's speculation. And that's what happened with real estate you know, there's a yeah. hundred different ways you can analyze it in 2007, 2008, right. 2009. But there was a lot of speculation, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth rental home purchases by people that didn't necessarily, shouldn't necessarily have been given the right. credit, you know? Yeah. This is fundamentally different than it was before because the there's there's a relatively low level of speculation. The people that are buying homes are, are in motion. You know, there's a great migration and it should be a, a title of an article and maybe it's already been one. I don't know. But there is a great migration going on in the United States. You know, people. And by the way, here's something I don't know. Uh, again, you pay more attention to what's in the press than I do. I, I read enough to be dangerous. Um, there's a second great migration about to happen. And it's going to be potentially as big as the first one. And that is when people get start getting recalled to work. And they say, I don't want to go back to work. I don't want to do that commute again. I'm going to look for a new job. And it may require a relocation for that new job. You know, so I don't think that we have a uh, systemic issue regarding an asset class overvaluation that will be adjusted abruptly. And that's what people are talking about when they say, when's it going to pop? Right. right. Am I exposed? So I think the fundamentals aren't there in history and going back a hundred years, when you look at any speculative situation there, there, the credit was, was applied fairly stringently for years and years. Home ownership equity is excellent right now. It's actually the highest it's ever been in the history of the United States. Yeah. Now that has a lot to do with pricing, but it also has to do 
with um, with other fundamentals about the valuation of the houses going up and people kind of hunkering down. Personal balance sheets, you know, BAML, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, they track credit card uh, disbursements and the amount of savings that people have in the United States is the highest it's ever been. Yeah. You know, because people weren't able to spend their money for weddings and for all the other things that you normally do, vacations. Right. Um, so we're, we actually have a very strong balance sheet at the consumer level. Um, the balance sheets of the, um, of the residential real estate market look pretty good. Uh, I think we have a little bit of a of the pain point. There's a little bit of a, a of a deferred foreclosure or yeah. forbearance stuff that's going to work itself through. But the good news is we need that inventory. And it's, a, it's yeah. hyper unfortunate. And the other good news is many of the people that are in forbearance or behind on their payments actually have a lot of positive equity. Yeah. And so we're actually working with our agents right now to help their their the homeowner save their home. Yeah. You know, that's a what a great thing to be able to do as a real estate professional to be able to counsel them on, hey, here's some things you can do to maybe restructure your your loan. You know, so I think I think we're going to be fine in 2021, 2022. I I think we're you know it gets, starts getting a little bit more opaque, mm-hmm. but the fundamentals do not lend themselves to an abrupt. That's what people don't like, and that's what right. you know the markets mm-hmm. aren't good. An abrupt adjustment of the market. You know, yeah. I think we're going to have we're and and there are some things. There are a number of things, not the least of which is the second great migration, mm-hmm. um, where the the followers are saying, "I'm going to move. I'm going to retire in two years, but I'm going to go. I've already, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make that move." Right. And it's happening. We're seeing it in rural America. I want to live where I want to recreate. Yeah. And our our rural business is in 95 years of operations. We are smashing every, actually all sides of the business, Yeah, but it's unbelievable. Our listing to sale ratio in a really, really good market is three to one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right now it's less than one to one. Wow. So for every time we get a listing, it's, it's going out the door on the other end. So if you're a seller, it's a great time to sell. If you were going to sell at some point in the next five years, you're going to bring that forward. Right. Right. Because the prices are good. So I think we're, I think we have some really rock solid fundamentals, um, for the for our industry, the most most threatening thing is, and it, and people you have to do the math. A one point increase in mortgage rates has a dramatic impact on home ownership or home affordability index. Yeah, definitely. And so that's probably the most dangerous thing that on the horizon that you know it'll it'll rebalance the market a bit. Yeah. When when you check that up, so. We'll see, but we 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 generally feel that 2021 is going to be a a pretty good year. Uh, yeah, I'm being a little bit conservative. Yeah, and and probably the first half of 2022. Beyond that, you know, if I had a crystal ball, I'd probably be in running a hedge fund or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know. I think everybody still has PTSD from the last recession. So yeah, <laughs> so there's that's searching. a good thing though. <laughs> yeah, and, you know. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Um, uh, it's excellent. It's called What the Blank Do We Know About Anything Anyway? And no. it, it kind of speaks to a little bit of preconceived notions, your hy- your hypothalamus and the way it operates. Yeah. And it's it's a fairly deep movie. It's mm-hmm. it's awesome, though. It's it, But it talks about your prior experiences um, kind of illuminating, supposedly. It's actually not illuminating. Illuminating right. your expectation of future things that might happen and anxiety yeah. and everything else. Um, 
it, we definitely, as an industry, have a little bit of PTSD because we're talking about it. The facts are there's yeah. not an asset bubble. Right. You know, but but we feel like we need to talk about it. So we're not on the wrong side of the conversation. Oh, why didn't right. you publish something that said it's going to crash? <laughs> right. Exactly. There are black swans that happen. Right. And definitely. so yeah. geopolitical, yeah. Uh, another harsher round of COVID, mm-hmm. you know, another, you know, all sorts of things could potentially uh, could change that outlook. But we're watching it. But right yeah. now we feel pretty confident that it's going to be a, a, a good year. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining Real Trending. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your candidness and um, and some of your insights. That was great. Yeah, it was fun. And, and Tracy, <laughs> anytime. And thank you on behalf of the industry. Um, you're welcome. Thank you very much for doing what you're doing. And uh, I mentioned this before we got on the call. Yeah. Really appreciate your commentary about um, about you know, the right intent to help new right. homeowners get into right. a home that the current administration and they're they're thinking about how do we get home ownership up, which is a great objective. Right. Um, but I love the fact that you kind of gave a different different spin on it. And I think, you know, it's it's important that we have folks like you that are having these conversations that yeah. are getting that that alternative perspective into the conversation. So thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure thank today. You. Thank you. I always right. appreciate compliments. <laughs> and to know people are reading my stuff is great. So thanks. Yeah, I'm reading it. <laughs> tell Steve I read yours more than I read his. <laughs> I don't know if I'll tell him that. No, maybe yeah, I don't will. Know. <laughs> Just leave it in the blog. He'll, he'll, he'll exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, great. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate your time and you have a great day. You too. Thank you All very right. much. All right. <laughs> See you later. See ya. Bye. Bye. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.